Here we go, here we go, here we go. Just stop where you are and then we'll finish up. Receive me, O Christ, who loves all human beings, as you receive the prostitute, the thief, the tax collector, and the prodigal. Take away the heavy burden of my sins, for you take away the sins of the whole world. You heal the infirmities of all human beings, and you call to yourself and give rest to those who labor and are heavy laden. Receive me, O Lord, through Christ. Amen. Amen. You know, these are, uh, this is a, like, these are people who have prayed before. <laughs> so you read that, you kind of go, it's interesting because he puts himself in the context of other people, but then he prays for other people as well. So he doesn't do it to excuse himself. He does it to say, um, I'm one of yours. So that's really, really nice. Uh, if you put money in that basket, it'll go to Spain and the Dominican Seminary. Your friend Arthur Justice, like now a big shot synodical official, I think you probably know that he's the number two guy in missions now. So all the guys that used to be his boss, they now report up to him. Hmm. hmm. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, be, gener- be generous and merciful, Arthur, if you're listening out there wherever you are. So we'll send some money to... Arthur, Spain, the Dominican Seminary, however that works out. That's good. Um, I said this to you last week, but I hope you'll show up uh, when my daughter Claire is married on the last Saturday of this month, so October 27th at 7.30. You're all invited. Um, You know, it'll rival Oktoberfest for its fun. So two weeks (laughs) in a row. I mean, I don't know if you can take it. I can. So... uh, but there's, the music should be spectacularly good, and um, you know the food truck will come, and uh, there's a couple of beers that might be waiting for you, and some very nice wines. So if you want to come the last Saturday, October 27th, at, and my goal is, I haven't talked to all the musicians, my goal is to have the music start about 7, so that there'll be like a little mini concert, a mini recital from 7 to 7.30. So hopefully, uh, we're working all that out, we'll show the organ off a little bit, and maybe some instruments and some voices, so... Uh, anyway, come for some fun, uh, if you will, on, at 7.30. I'll put a written thing in, but the crows, I forgot to get it before the crows went on vacation. They're back now. Sandy will put it in for me, but it'll all be good. So um, please come and tell other folks, because I haven't really launched it into the congregation uh, as well as I might have. Questions about anything? A lot of stuff going on. It's good. It was um, busy and loud this morning, which is great, right? You know, it's, just so, it's so nice to have kids... Uh, kids in there and having a blast. And they're so, real honestly, they're so good with that number of kids. It's really good job with your kids. Questions about anything? How are your prayers going? Morning and evening? Yeah. Are you seeing anything move around? Like anybody walking on water? You know? <laughs> I mean, we got, we got Tom Hecht all figured out in one week's time, so that in itself is a miracle. I think you'll agree. Uh, well, we've got to keep it up. Keep it up. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Not quite there. Yet. Not quite there. Still in formation. Yeah, that can happen to a guy, right? So I, I um, now I don't want to, you know, I, I thought about this this morning that um, what I'm doing to you is a little like going fishing for muskie with Rich Wren, right? So you're, you, you know, you suddenly see this glorious thing plop down right in front of you from nowhere like a gift. And you're like going, this is beautiful. You know, what I, what I haven't told you yet that at some point, you know, Right? There'll be a barbed hook. And, uh, but it will pull you on to something better. If you're lucky as a, as a muskie, you know, you spend the rest of eternity on Rich's wall. <laughs> 
So in a way, your prayers, you know, they're alluring at first. They're wonderful. So if you can, in the morning, bless my children, amen. Remember my wife, amen. Keep me safe, amen. Bless my congregation, amen. Send your angels to surround me, amen. I mean, you can do a lot of, a lot of work with five words. What I want to do is just get you into the habit of morning and evening saying a prayer. You know, if you're ready, add the Lord's Prayer in the morning and the evening. I know some of you are far beyond this, but here's the thing. To have you all in one place and one time praying. James, the prayer of a righteous person avails much. Right? So you all went to the Eucharist this morning, so you're all righteous. And if you all would pray, you know, <laughs> there is this old story about if, if everybody would pray at once, the Messiah would return and end the age. Right? It's a bit of a nice, uh, it's a bit of a nice idea. So I'm definitely trying to lure you into something uh, which is going to end up being kind of painful for you, but good for you in the end. So prayer is this beautiful thing, and it's a great gift to you, and it's a privilege that you get as being a child of God, as being part of the divine family. And we've talked about how God is already answering before you ask, and he's already um, delivering goods before you specify what it is that you need in such a wheaten sort of way. Uh, And then... um, Jesus is praying for you all the time, and the Holy Spirit is too, and in our prayers we grow, and in our prayers we suffer, and in our prayers we're blessed. And sometimes in our prayers we demand, and that's normal. We are, a child gets hurt, you know, we demand. You know, we have trouble in our life. We, you know, we're up in the middle of the night asking for help, right? Um, This will come to you. But you should know that in your prayers, even when they are not answered as you specify, that they nevertheless give order and meaning to your life and actually bring your life into a beautiful place. You may not even see it in this life, but in the end you will see it. Like so many things that are divine, um, you do them on the come, right? For the future, toward the future. And someday, someday, because you're a friend of Jesus, um, you'll be well cared for someday. Because when the Lord looks at you, he sees Christ. Someday, you will experience things which you could not have imagined. If you could imagine them now, you would gladly, gladly say your prayers. And of course, you could say this about baptism or coming to the altar or whatever. You know, we just don't see very far. We're, We're limited. And faith then agrees with God and does what God asks just because he asks. So I've already shot you through the first couple of things on this list, you know. Prayer is beautiful because it bubbles up from who you are. You're a child of God and part of the heavenly household. That's what we talked about for the last couple of weeks. And um, when God looks at you today, he says exactly to you what he says to Jesus when Jesus was baptized. You are my beloved child This is my beloved son. So when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. But, you know, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We talk a lot about, and we need to talk a lot about our sins because we need to be repenting of them. But it's very important for all of you to remember that when when your heavenly father looks at you through Jesus, he's very pleased with you. Everything that is broken in you or soiled or shattered or doubtful, is swept away in Christ. So 
The Heavenly Father says to you in your baptism and in your life what he says to Jesus in his baptism and in his life. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. It's not a gender comment. It is the highest praise. To be the firstborn son in that culture was to inherit everything. So it's the, it's the Heavenly Father's way of saying, everything I have is yours. It's the prodigal son story to the firstborn. At the end, remember, everything I have is yours. That's what he says to the firstborn son. Under happier circumstances, he says it to all of you. So I've um, turned the page and... Um, you know, shouted at you with bold print and exclamation points. You know, you're honored, you're engaged, you have status, you have influence, you matter, you're loved. And maybe the most important thing for you is that the Lord has your best at heart. That is one of the hard things also to remember, that the Lord always has our best at heart. Now, how could that be? And I'm pursuing a little bit of last week's theme of why would anybody listen to you? And, of course, the answer is because you're quite beautiful. In God's eyes, you're quite beautiful. You're beloved, which is a remarkable thing. Almost nobody says that to anybody these days. And one of the ways the church could distinguish itself is to tell people that you love them, right? We're short on that in our society in in all directions. We're long on judgment and very short on love. But if we could be the people who flipped that around, that'd be good. Now, here, this is why it's possible. And, you know, I, I know where I'm going, but I always get sort of derailed, and I wonder if I've said too little or too much. But humor me today a little bit and look at Romans 8, which is a very difficult chapter, but beautiful in its own right. So I, I sat around trying to figure out how I could make this. First, I edited this whole chapter, and then I started over because I didn't expect you to trust me. I thought you might say, what in the world did you leave out there, right? Which is, you know, trust but verify. I know that you all have your nukes at home, finger on the bottom. So, just checking. So, um, you know, what I've given you, though, is in the, large, in the large letters, what I've hoped to give you is a very simple explanation of who you are. So I gave you the small print, too, and you'll have to squint to see it, probably, but just kind of look at this. There is, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You should hold that verse dear, especially if you're a Lutheran. So this is one of the great confusing points of Lutheranism, and especially for pastors, uh, especially for pastors who are afraid they'll get soft, and then if they get soft, of course, people won't toe the line, and if they don't toe the line, then church will collapse, and suddenly it's my church, and I have to make people toe the line to make my church work, and you can see how badly this is going to end, Right? So, um, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This is another way of saying that when God looks at you, he says, you are my beloved child. This is my beloved child. You really please me. Just think about yourself, okay? And I don't know if that's easiest or hardest. Depending on your personality, that could be the easiest thing to do or the hardest thing to do. Just think about yourself. For people who um, are scrupulous, and maybe not so confident. Um, to, to think that God is pleased with them is a very difficult thing. On the other end, uh, people who are a bit prideful or can only see you know, the speck in, um, in other people's eyes when they can't see the, the beam in their own eye. Um, this is like, well, of course, everybody knew this about me, right? And this is the story, of course, of the guy who goes to the church. There's one guy in the front saying, I'm glad I'm not like other people. Right? 
sinners and tax collectors. And then there's that guy in the back going, I can barely come in the door, right? Well, for both people, one of the great things about Scripture is it's the great equalizer. So you get up in the morning, you say, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen, is the great equalizer. You belong to God, but you needed to be baptized for that to happen. In the same way, for God to look at you and say, I'm pleased with you, it's not because of anything in you, of course, it's because Jesus has died for you and put his body and blood into you and washed you up at the font and he loves you. So believe this, please. Don't believe it from pridefulness and don't disbelieve it from scrupulosity. Believe it because this is what Jesus says to you. There's no condemnation. God never condemns you. Right? God never condemns you. The final word for you is not condemnation. Because you're joined to Christ. We did this in the first couple weeks. And if the Father condemns you, he condemns Christ. That's already been done on the cross. If the Father damns you, he damns Christ. That's already been done on Good Friday, right? So you have to think about this in terms of yourself, your spouse, your kids, your friends. We're so hard on each other, and we forget to tell people that we love them. But we should remember that faith agrees with God. So if God decides that he's pleased with everybody else in this room, you can't disagree with that and remain faithful. You say about yourself, you say about your kids, you say about your spouse, you say about other people in this congregation, what God says about them. There is no condemnation. You should see yourself, but also every other person in this congregation as beloved children of God with whom God is well pleased. And if we could think a little bit more about ourselves and other people that way, in humility, not in pride, as a gift that's been given to us, that's the purest Pauline, Jesus, good Luther kind of stuff. Of course, the law always accuses, which means the law tells us where we get it wrong. You don't please God when you lie, for example, but you please God when your lies are forgiven. You don't please God when you're a miser, but you please God when you stop being a miser. You don't please God when you skip church. You please God when you come back. All the foregoing because... It is a return to the way of Christ. It is metanoia. It is repentance. It is turning around. It is being forgiven. Because, of course, forgiveness is waiting for you whenever you turn. So you should hold this dear. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When God looks at you and everybody else, he says, these are my beloved children. This is my royal family. These are my advisors. These are the people who listen to. I look to these people for advice. I count on their prayers to let me know what's going on in the world. I count on their prayers for them to grow and become more consonant with the will of the Holy Trinity, right? Everybody else, too. It's one of the things about a family reunion. Yeah, they all have your DNA. C.S. Lewis, I go to the Eucharist to love people that I don't like. Same for you, right? You may not like everybody in this congregation, but loving them is not optional, okay? So here we go. We're all in it together, beloved children of God. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Then, just the simple big letters. The spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from sin and death. So you can't lie about other people. And you can't lie about yourself. You can't talk about people if they're, as if they're still damn sinners. You can't talk about people that way. It's only part of the story. And part of the story, as anybody will tell you, is um, if it's not a lie, it's a, at least a misrepresentation, right? 
So, there's no condemnation. Why? Because the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. So the Heavenly Father is there in the heavenly household. And the Holy Spirit is active in your heart, moving your will um, and your intellect. So the Holy Spirit helps you to see clearly and the Holy Spirit helps you to love well. And of course, the specific part of that is, despite how you're feeling, um, somebody sent me a birthday card with a dog lying on a couch next to a psychiatrist. And the dog says, really? I don't feel like a good boy. Like, <laughs> First, why would you send that to me? But second, of course, it's clever in its own right. So, uh, you know, despite how you may or may not feel, you're a child of God. You know, it's like when your kids say to you, I don't even want to live here anymore, or you're not my mother, or I don't want to be part of this family, or blah, 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 all the other things you said when you were a kid, right? You know, your kid can say to you, I don't want you as my mother anymore, but you should never say, well, I don't want you as my son anymore, I don't want you as my daughter, because you know what? You're always the adult, right? Kids are always kids. Adults are always adults. It's just the way life works. It's just numbers, right? Adults are always adults. Kids are always kids, and we should always remember that. Kids can say what they want, right? But you're an adult. I love you is the proper response. So there's no condemnation because you're my beloved child in Christ Jesus. Beyond Christ Jesus, I've given you the Holy Spirit who sets you free from sin and death. This is... Um, John 6, where Jesus says to the woman caught in adultery, who condemns you? Remember? Who, remember remember they pick up the stones and they drop the stones and they all go home one by one. It's just Jesus and this woman. They're standing together. Jesus like, hey, who condemns you? Like, the community has all gone home, so their community doesn't condemn her. Jesus, the Son of God, is there. He's not condemning her. He'd like to move on to the next thing. And the only question is about you yourself, about herself. Will she let Jesus' forgiveness matter for her? Right? That's what it means. And then he says, go and sin no more. Or go, you're free not to sin anymore. Or there's a new path for you. Or the Didache. There is a way of life and there is a way of death. Take the way of life. Right? So the Father loves you. He loves you in Christ Jesus. He's given you his spirit. And he's made you free. Now you can see clearly where you should go. And you can choose well because your heart loves things, the proper things, the good things, the beautiful things, the true things, not the sinful things, not the destructive things, not the things that will break you as a human being. We walk according to the Spirit, right? We set our minds on things of the Spirit. So now you're seeing it. We think about things of the Spirit. So we study, we meditate, we've done all this, right? We walk according to the Spirit, Because to set the mind on the Spirit and to walk according to the Spirit is life and peace. And if there is one thing the world needs right now is life and peace. This is the time where sometimes the church gets a little bit afraid. And frankly, the church has as many problems, if not more problems, than the rest of the world all put together. But the single thing that people want, and you can even hear it in their anger, what they want is to live in peace. So, you know, if you want a little homework, watch the news for 24 hours and ask yourself, is there any story that's just been presented to me that isn't about being alive and being at peace? 
Every last story you watch can be defined this way. It is what you want, is your deepest need, that you can be alive, fully alive, and that you can live in peace. Right? It's what everybody wants. The problem is, is we don't know what makes us alive, and we don't know what makes for peace. And, you know, things are so crazy now that, you know, you get to the point where war makes for peace, right? It's a tough argument to make. You can make it sometimes, but not as often as human beings think. Or roughing other people up, or bullying other people, or just pick something. Those aren't the things that make for peace, right? You had Oscar Romero either this week or last week where he said peace isn't about cemeteries, peace isn't about oppression. Peace is about, peace is about life in Christ. It's about a humble life in Christ. So we walk according to the Spirit. We set our minds on the things of the Spirit. And that will deliver life and peace. Now there is um, right here the next part where he sort of takes Larry by the lapels like this, kind of right, and gives him a little shake, appropriate to his age, right? (laughs) You know, we don't want anything going out of kilter, right? Besides that, he's got to be um, good to go on Garden Club. What day is Garden Club? And what time? Thursday. If these people were Christians, more people would show up, right? right. Yeah, I thought that's what you meant to say. So uh, what time is that on Thursdays? Pardon? What time on Thursdays? What time Eight. should they be? Eight o'clock. So if you're a Christian, if you have Thursday morning at 8 free, and if you're willing to follow orders, yes. Sarge, what? Um, then, uh, well, I, no, I didn't say it out loud. You did. <laughs> She's beautiful. Shh, don't say, you guys, look, the thing is, you got to know when to stop, right? She's right over there someplace. I mean, I don't even want to look in that direction, but I know she's there. Come on now. You are in the Spirit. You belong to Christ. Christ is in you. His Spirit dwells in you. This isn't hard, right? If you read, you just kind of read chapter 8 straight through, you know, it gets a little dicey, but if you just kind of pay attention to the big letters, it's all good. You're not condemned. You've been set free in Christ. You can walk according to the Spirit. Your mind can work according to the Spirit. You belong to Christ. You're in the Spirit. Christ is in you. Spirit's in you. Turn the page. And then this is really important for you. Therefore, we are debtors. Well, you know, lure in the water. Bloop, where did that come from? It's a gift. So I'm going towards your prayers, which are a gift. So often you think that your prayers are about you. You know, you're going to say your prayers. Man, they're not your prayers. And you can't do it. You know, what Nagel used to always say to me, do you pray your prayers or do your prayers pray you? It's an old man talk, right? It's like when you crawled in the Desert Fathers and you, you, it, takes you, it takes you four months to get there and then they say one sentence to you and send you on your way. Right? Do you pray your prayers or do your prayers pray you? Your prayers should pray you. They're not your prayers. It's not your life, right? So we're debtors. We live from what we've been given, right? We're sons of God. We didn't self-generate, and we're not um, at the top of the uh, flow chart. We're a notch down. Sons of God. We're sons of God. Don't fear. This common word from Jesus when the waves are coming up over the edge of the boat, um, when people see miraculous things happening, Don't fear. No phobos, phobia. Don't fear. Why? 
you're adopted. Right? This is like um, when you get bullied, you got a lot of, you go home and get your big brother. Right? You've got family behind you. Right? This, this is the old, this is probably the one place in your life where you can actually say, hey, do you know who I am? And it actually matters. <laughs> right? You're part of the royal family. Rich people are not like us, right? You're sons of God. You've been adopted. And we cry, Papa. Right? Abba, Papa. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. So the Spirit vouches for you. This is the old margin comment about why I can't serve on a jury. You know, because I take the other side. This is why I'm not going to discipline your child. (laughs) Because I am representation for the defense. (laughs) You discipline your child. I'll be merciful. That's the deal we'll have, okay? Well, that's what it is here. Um, The spirit, our advocate, paraclete, advocate, defense attorney, counselor, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. You think you're a son of God? You think you're a son of God? You think you're a child of God? You're a child of God? And the Holy Spirit goes, yeah, that's right. Let's move on. We've got work to do here. Right? So you can invoke this notion that you're a child of God and that God loves you and God is pleased with you. So whatever you're doing, um, from the mildly stupid to the really sinful, that can all be forgiven and God looks at you and says, I'm pleased with you. Right? And the Holy Spirit backs up your story. That's why he's your friend. He does what... Uh, he does what you need. This is going to be important later when Jesus talks about you being his friend as well. We should probably talk a little bit about what it is to be a good friend. So, one of the things um, a good friend does for you is sticks up for you in time of need. They sense what you need and they stick by you. Okay? So the Spirit himself senses your need and says what you say. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. Yeah, he's a child of God. And then this big thing. Heirs, you know, this single word, heirs. Hey, you're in the will. I, I, you know, the most, so one thing is, if you haven't made a will slash trust slash seen a lawyer, you should do that today, okay? And I'm going to just tell you that because I'm the guy, when you're dead, who has to sit with your children, who look at each other and say, how could my parents slash father slash mother be so stupid why couldn't they love me better than this, right? I'm just telling you. The only thing worse than that is, and I would tell you to really be careful about this if you decide to do it. I know children who have been disinherited. And you want to have the last word from beyond the grave? You want to devastate somebody for the rest of their life? Disinherit them. In fact, write them a really nasty letter to which there can be no reply. Yeah, that lasts a good long time. The opposite of that is to be an heir. To know that just the right amount will come to you by right and by gift. Now it was by gift first and then by right. But by right because you're a child of God, by gift because God is pleased with you. Right? So this brilliant thing of knowing that you will be okay forever. Which of course strengthens your prayers. Because you know how your life is going to work out. You're going to live about 70 or 80 years, maybe 90 if you're lucky, right? But you're going to die. And that's a very short time relative to eternity. 
So, you know, suffer what you suffer, endure what you endure, but repent and say your prayers and rely on the fact that you are an heir and that your children who have been baptized and are repentant are heirs as well. And that when you go to the Holy Supper, you're marked as an heir. You're marked as the family. You're marked as the Holy Communion, right? So you have this great confidence because, uh, come on, you're a trust fund baby, right? It's beautiful. You know, nothing to worry about. You're an heir of God and with Christ. So, and this is startling when you talk about it this way, you get the share that Christ gets. So, what this means is that the Heavenly Father listens to you the way he listens to Christ. Now, try to imagine kind of how this family thing is going on in heaven up above you. So, the Heavenly Father is there, who knows all and sees all, but most importantly, deeply cares for you and answers you before you ask and only wants your best, right? And then swirling around him on the same page is Jesus who is constantly saying, I love them, you love them, they're fine, they're forgiven, all is well, good job, right? And the Holy Spirit who's saying, this would be best for the Kovekis. This would be really good for them, right? Don't let them win the lottery this weekend. 273 mil, he's a smart guy, but that would crush him. Unless, of course, he ties to St. John. So, um, <laughs> take the lump sum, it's better for us. So... Uh, <clears throat> We have needs now. Okay, so you know, so, so what you got you got to put all these pieces together, right? And then when you add your voice to this family discussion, I'm sure you've all been at a family dinner where nobody paid any attention to you, right? Especially maybe when you were a kid and all the adults are talking over to you. you. Just why do you think a kids' table was invented, right? I mean, I like to sit at the kids' table. I can get a word in, you know. I mean, with the adults' table. It was, so just kind of imagine if it was all flowing up to the heaven. And, and imagine that the Holy Spirit and Jesus and you are all asking for the same thing. This is what's happening, right? So the Spirit bears witness, speaks for us, speaks with us, speaks for our good. This guy's an heir too. You're an heir of God and a fellow heir with Christ. You have the stature of Christ before the Heavenly Father. You're my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. I'm really pleased with you. I love you. I'm glad you came to dinner today. Yeah, so here's the part where it bites a little bit provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him, we may be glorified with him. Now, here's the thing. This isn't um, the Greek God who sort of sets you up with beautiful things and then breaks you down in tragedy. All the Greek tragedies are written in this way. You have a person who's blessed or noble or has great resources, and they become too big for their britches, and the gods... (coughs) Take them down. Right? Every one of the tragedies is written against the hubris of humankind. This is not that. When Paul says we suffer with Christ so that we can be glorified with Christ, he's just saying something you already know. What Luther said last week, that your life is cemented to Christ. Look, there isn't any other Christ but the one who suffers and is glorified. And in some sense, your own lives, my life, this church's life, the church itself is a recapitulation of, so it's a rehearsal, it's a reenactment every week of Jesus who suffers and Jesus who is resurrected and Jesus who is glorified. It's the only story we got. That's all we got. 
But if you're actually cemented to Jesus, that becomes your story too. So if you say, yeah, I'm all good and God is pleased with me and God calls me a son and God loves me and God listens to my prayers, which is eventually where we're going. God listens to my prayers because I'm identical with Jesus. You have to hear that in the right way, but you know, you're in Jesus. Jesus is in you. You're in the Spirit. The Spirit is in you. Jesus speaks for you. The Holy Spirit speaks for you, right? If you want the life, there's only one life, and frankly, it's a life that includes suffering and eventually glory. And you can't escape that till you die, right? So in these, however many years you've got, you're going to suffer, and at some point you're going to be glorified, which is to be said, your whole life will be pulled into um, some heavenly worth. So glory is that technical word for when the holiness of heaven drops down to earth. Glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. The angels sing that at Christmas. Why? Because the holiness of heaven has come to earth and lies in a manger. So use the same meaning for your own life. So your life, baptized, redeemed, bodied, blooded, is meant to be given into holiness, which is painful in a way because it means things like your old hoodlum friends, as Paul says in another place, aren't going to recognize you anymore. They're going to say, but you used to do this with us and now you don't do this anymore. What is wrong with you? Or you're going to live in a way which is completely antithetical to the world. It's easy now. This is a, I mean, this is a layup right now. If you just look at anything going on in America and do the opposite. I mean, it's the George Costanza life right now. Live it, right? Just take everybody else's impulse and do the opposite. You hit the bullseye of Christianity. The world has gone mad. That will be problematic because um, the world will punish you in its own particular way. In every generation, it finds a different way to punish you. You know, from shaming to exclusion to, hey, would you like to meet my pet lions? In every age, um, you'll be punished for this, but the story has a happy ending. What we're trying to do then is figure out how can you live between now and then in a heavenly way. And the answer to that is to say your prayers. What your prayers do, and this will be the next thing that we do, what your prayers do is bring heaven to earth. And we're going to run through first, so I'm just going to kind of tell you where we're going. I want to talk to you three or four weeks about um, the different kinds of prayers that are available to us, or different, the different tools we have in our toolbox. Praying for other people, bringing people to Christ. But, uh, we're going to talk about that. Then um, I'm going to go away and forget all about you, and the vicar is going to talk to you um, about the Lord's Prayer. Then although this is just kind of a coin flip for me, that you'll actually let me back because he's so good. Um, plus, he's very elegant in Portuguese. <laughs> so uh, you, have to, you love him. I know you'll love him. But then we'll come back. And then I want to begin to talk about the challenges of prayer. For example, the helplessness that underlies our prayers. I want to take those things. Prayer is a way to be helpless. Prayer is a way to order our lives. I want to talk about all of those different things that will... But you have to have... First, you have to have, you have, to have your status... You've got to have it solid in mind or you won't make it through. If you start to think that your prayers are about you or you've got to scrounge up some prayers, you've got to muscle up the strength to do it, 
you will, you will be destroyed in the first hour. Because when you push back against the, the, when you push against the darkness, Satan is coming for you. I got an email from somebody this week who said, um, hey man, I don't, I don't think I can do this. Like, I know, I know what I'm opening myself up for. And, uh, boy, I don't know if I can take it. What's the answer? What would you, I mean, you be me, my favorite game. What would you say? Hey, there isn't any other answer. Right? This might be painful. Let me just tell you that the other option is more painful and eternally so because hell is when God lets you have your way forever. Right? Courage, not cowardice. Everybody gets afraid. Everybody gets afraid. Fear is, you know, if fear were a commodity, you, you know, it'd be negative interest rates. Uh, this is, the fear is, you know, free. Courage is what you can control. Courage puts one foot in front of the other, which is Jesus going to the cross. So um, just turn the page to six. Hey, you know, someday, that thing I handed you out the first day from Rowan Williams, I didn't hand it out this week. At least I saved the trees. I've handed it out three times now, and I haven't read it to you yet because I can never get to it. But hold on. Someday we'll go there, okay? First, I just want you to think about then, um, just think to yourself what makes a, what makes a good friend. If you could, can you just kind of picture your best friend? I hope you have a best friend. Some people um, have a thousand best friends. You know, some people have one. It's a cruel life if you don't have any. But if you can just kind of think about your best friend, what that means to you. And then you can think about what Jesus says to you. He says, you know, I'm your friend. Uh, That's the John text from last week. And if you, um, well, let's just say if there's a break in that relationship, it's not going to be on his side. Friends do good. Right, I'm just above and below number the number seven. You're my friends if you do what I ask you. This is command is translated, and yes, of course, Jesus says, but it's also this gifting, it's the pondering up in your heart the way Mary does when she thinks about the Christmas story. If you, um, you're my friends if you follow along, if you agree, if you take the next step. I don't call you servants. Because you know where we're going. I've explained it all to you. I've told you what the Father's doing. i told you what I'm doing. There's been this little chancel drama on the cross where you saw what happened, and then you saw an empty tomb, and Easter was great. So you're my friends if you um, follow along. And then the two things that are really important there, if you abide in me and bear fruit. So, so often people think the Christian life is this frenetic bouncing around from one place to another. Abide means... You're, you're my friends if you stay put. Abide means you stay put. So Jesus has put you into particular stations in life. Jesus has made you a student. Jesus made you a father. Jesus made you a mother. Jesus made you a child. right? Jesus made you a church member. Jesus has made you a CEO. Jesus has made you a teacher. And then you have a couple of those things. So you can be a mother and a teacher and a church member. You have actions vocations, but we don't, you can't even use that because it's so overused now. Nobody knows what you're talking about. Station is the place where you live. Action is the thing that you do. I'm sorry. Station is the place where you live. Vocation is the thing that you do. So let's lose the theological words and just say 
You are what you are, student, mother, father, teacher, whatever. And in each of those places, to follow me, as Jesus said, is to act like a Christian, to do good, to love. This is very simple. So if you're a mother, it's completely clear how you love. You hold your child dear. You bring your child to baptism. You tend your child so that your child flourishes in life and in Christ. All right? So, stay put and bear fruit. Now, you just have to remember, and this is the last thing, you have to remember that in the scriptures, so much of the Christian life is about patience. There's a reason that Jesus uses images like, the Christian life is like when you make bread and you put in yeast and you wait for it to rise. It takes time. The Christian life is when you sow seed and then you go to sleep and you know not how, but eventually it grows. It takes time. The Christian life is like seeing weeds among the things you've planted. Translation, maybe your kids don't do exactly what you tell them and you get frustrated, and you would like to pull them out by the roots. And then Jesus says to you, what? Think of the damage that you will do. It'll sort itself out. Be patient. The Lord puts you into particular places to do particular things with great patience and with prayer. Pray without ceasing, right? So you can't get to without ceasing all at once. But if you would, please, now, if you've got a little rhythm going, morning and evening, right? So we started with five words or less, morning and evening. Jesus, remember me. Jesus, care for me. Jesus, I'm sorry. Jesus, bless me. Jesus, remember my kids. Jesus, protect us from evil, right? Jesus, Jesus, right? Morning. But I would just ask you to up your game a little bit just only so far as the Lord's Prayer, in anticipation of all the genius things that your vicar will teach you in a few weeks. Get familiar with it and see how it suits you. Figure out where it rubs and what you just don't understand. And then um, that'll give you a little bonus going forward. All right, everybody okay? Um, Make sure you come to Claire's wedding, otherwise I'm going to be here with a food truck and a lot of really great beer all by myself. (laughs) Our, our whole thing, you know, we're counting noses and we're like, do you think? I don't know. What do you say? 7.30? I don't know. What about the next morning? I don't know. We have to be out by 8. That should be good. So um, it <laughs> should all be fine. I have a key. All right? I'll let you out. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. I love you. Thanks. See you at the altar.